Imagine. You're a young woman. You live in a shack on the edge of the city. You came to live here after fleeing war. You are 18 years old and pregnant, and just about to give birth. You're in a lot of pain, and you know something's wrong, and you're scared, very scared. You see, you don't have official papers. You have no ID, and you've heard the hospital might help you, but they will also insist that you pay. It's money that you don't have, and there's this rumor you've heard too about babies being held as ransom. When people can't pay, if you go to the hospital, will the baby be taken away? And if this happens, will you ever be able to pay the hospital bills and get your child back? What do you do? This is a very real dilemma facing Roma women in Serbia. Hi, I'm Zahel Barazi, and you're listening to the Paperless People podcast. In this edition, stories from the Roma community in Serbia. These are sounds from a Roma settlement in the Serbian capital Belgrade. Official figures put the number of Roma here at 150,000, but unofficial figures say there are as many as 400,000. Many of them live in the capital, and most work in the informal economy on the fringes of Serbian society. The 18-year-old woman that we were just imagining, she she's real, and her name is Ardita. Some background here. The dilemma that Ardita faces is one faced by many Roma women, and it is fueled by widespread discrimination against the Roma community in Serbia. The underlying problem that undocumented women with common law marriages cannot register their children when they are born. And who are the women who find themselves in this situation? Roma women. Ardita found herself in this exact situation, and despite having no papers, she decided to go to the hospital. We'll hear what happened later in the podcast, but to find out how Adita became invisible to the state, we have to go back. At the end of the 1990s, Adita's mother Safita was living in Kosovo and became displaced. Together with her common-law husband and her two sons, she found herself on the move. At the time, Safita was only 23 years old. The family's first destination was Montenegro, and then Smederova, a small town in southern Serbia. Like many Roma, the family had no formal employment and life was tough even before leaving Kosovo. Now they were faced with building everything back up from scratch. Not easy, especially when you face widespread discrimination and prejudice simply because of the fact that you're from the Roma community. Just how ingrained and how bad is this discrimination? Listen to this description. There are names that uh, are used. Uh, behavior with uh, humiliating uh, behavior towards uh, the Roma, calling them names or commenting, uh, yeah, commenting whether they are uh, clean or dirty, commenting uh, that uh, uh, you know somehow uh, not wanting to assist them in any way, just telling them to go away sometimes or telling them. Uh, uh, it's it's your fault that you are uh, poor. You don't want to work. Uh, you're lazy. You don't want to uh, go to school. Uh, nothing can help you. No positive measures. My name is Ivanka Kostic. Uh, I'm the executive director of. Uh, 
praxis. Our focus uh, is providing legal aid to certain members of minority groups. It is against this backdrop of distrust and discrimination that Sofita and her family have to struggle to rebuild their lives. It's while the family is in Smederovo that Ardita is born, and here the seeds of her invisibility are sown. You see, Safita, Ardita's mum, has a common-law marriage to her father. In the eyes of Serbian law, this is informal and not valid. But in the Roma community, common-law marriage is widespread. It's part of the culture. And as we will see, this mismatch between the formal and informal does not make things easy. Pregnant with Ardita, Safita presents herself at the hospital under her common-law husband's name. Safita, she doesn't have an ID card and a birth certificate to prove her identity. So, baby Ardita can't be registered correctly. Even before drawing her first breath outside the hospital walls, baby Ardita is already a non-person in the eyes of the law. The seeds of numerous future problems are sown in an instant. And of course, Safita still has her own identity problems too. After Smederova, the family moves to a settlement on the edge of Belgrade, and one of the first things that Safita does is to start the process of trying to reobtain her own documents so she can prove her ID. Birth registration records were destroyed en masse in Kosovo, and she faces, along with thousands of others, complex administrative procedures to re-register. First, there's a process to re-register her own birth, and then after that, an additional process to determine her citizenship. But eventually, in 2015, Safita succeeds and gets an ID card, the first that she's ever had. Well, she, she was very happy when uh, she finally got her ID card. Uh, she, she was registered at the birth in Kosovo, but the books... Uh, After helping Safita obtain her ID card, the human rights organisation of Ankara is with, Praxis, gets to work registering her children. Her sons are registered quickly and without a problem, and a second daughter, Amina, born in Belgrade, is also quickly registered. This is not the case for Ardita. As she was born in the small town of Smederovo, the family has to deal with the authorities there. Yeah, well, that's the problem of uh, unequal practice in different uh, offices, registry offices. And that the authorities really in Smederovo claim that it can't be proved that Savita and Ardita are the same people as those noted in the town's hospital records back in the year 2000 at the time of Ardita's birth. This is due to Safita using her common-law husband's name. It no longer matches her maiden name on her newly acquired ID card. It's a bureaucratic catch-22. The administrative route via the authorities in Smederovo is blocked. Safita and Ardita have to turn to the courts to try and get the birth registration document. The procedure is still ongoing, and Ardita is still in legal limbo. And this, it brings us back to where we started. Ardita, 18, pregnant and in pain with that decision to make. To go to the hospital or not. There's the terrifying prospect of the medical costs. She doesn't have the money. And then there are those rumours of babies being taken off the mothers who cannot pay. It's traumatic, but she decides to go. 
she's in so much pain that there isn't much choice. And she's admitted even though she has no ID card, health booklet, or any official papers at all. Adita is lucky to have been admitted to the hospital, as without documents, she is officially invisible to the system. Her unresolved status, due to her own mother's problems with establishing her ID, are now a very real problem. I'm waiting to obtain my documents following a court procedure, she says. Now my child is ill and in the hospital. Neither she nor I have health insurance. She's in the hospital and they won't discharge her. She was very ill. She had some dangerous bacteria. She's been in the hospital for seven days now. It's a dramatic situation and it seems Ardita's worst fears are coming true. She says the hospital threatens to keep the baby until the medical bills are paid. And the bill is huge. 44,000 dinars, about 370 euros. The prospect of having to pay this is devastating for Ardita, whose entire family only earn a fraction of this amount each month. That was uh, something, an unbelievable price for someone that has, uh, for example, six or seven thousand uh, dinars per month uh, social benefits. Ivanka goes on to explain that hospitals quite often make the threat to keep the babies in this sort of situation. They uh, allow themselves to threaten that they will take away the baby, that uh, they must pay, that uh, they will be charged, that, uh, you know, uh, they will be uh, arrested or something like that. So that's... uh, absolutely uh, not a way to behave and that they don't have the right to take away the baby. That's absolutely impossible. By this stage, Ardita is fraught with worry. Not only has her daughter been born with a dangerous bacterial infection, but she's now being told that her child is being held at ransom for astronomical medical costs. Ardita turns to the rights organization Praxis for help where they start to work on her case. After a few days of total stress, Ardita's daughter, now recovered from the infection, is released, and mum and daughter return to the settlement on the outskirts of Belgrade. The immediate drama is over, but without legal status, both remain in limbo and are terrified of the next time they need to be able to prove who they are to get help if they need it. At the centre of these dramatic hospital standoffs around newborns is the main issue, which is that undocumented Roma women cannot register their babies. The hospitals, in turn, try and force the situation by making threats about medical bills and holding the babies until they are paid. This is to put pressure on the young mothers to try and get them to produce some kind of document. In the end, the hospitals can't actually make them pay, or keep the babies, of course, but for the young Roma women caught up in these dramatic situations, they feel no less real. At the time, it is difficult for them to know the threats are empty, and they are still left with the main problem of having no documents, and also left wondering what will happen the next time they are asked to provide them. Praxis, the organisation that Ivanka works with, deals with similar cases in the Roma community. This is Fidana. She gave birth to a baby boy, Mustafa. She couldn't register his birth, as she did not have personal documents herself. Her parents never registered her own birth, and she was neglected as a child. 
Her father was an alcoholic who died when she was a child, and her mother abandoned the family. She too, just like Ardita, was threatened with being charged the costs of labor and treatment for the birth of her son. The hospital eventually backed down after the Praxis organization stepped in. Now both Fidana and her son Mustafa are registered and have official ID. And just a few months ago, Fidana gave birth to a baby daughter, Raima, in the hospital. And the girl was registered without any problems. The stories of Safita, Ardita, and Fidana in Serbia illustrate how legal invisibility passes from generation to generation, leaving those already left behind even further behind. They also show the dangers faced by disadvantaged communities as a whole, like the Roma, when it comes to UN targets like SDG 16.9, aimed at ensuring legal identity for all. The main focus for the target, the indicator, is on registering children under five. And on this point, the overall figure in Serbia looks fantastic. 99.4% are registered. So hey, job done, you would think. But this global overall figure says little or nothing about marginalized communities like the Roma, who are discriminated against. Up to 8% of children under four among the Roma are not registered according to UNHCR. This specific problem simply gets swallowed up in the global good news statistic for the country as a whole. The danger then is that the political will and the extra effort needed to tackle problems faced by marginalized communities, like the Roma in Serbia, will disappear, leaving those on the outside even more excluded and locked into their position on the fringes of society. Statelessness expert Bromer Mambi from the London School of Economics says that if there is to be an effective push to end statelessness, then there needs to be more attention to the current level of discretion countries have when it comes to granting citizenship. She says there's currently too much room for arbitrary decision-making, which leaves communities like the Roma out in the cold. Under international law, there's still a unfortunately wide degree of discretion given to states around deciding who are its nationals. And to some extent, that makes perfect sense. I mean, the whole idea of citizenship at all is uh, to say that there's something important about a national community. An idea of, of national community is, is, has a, a value which I think uh, you know, is, is clearly recognized in international law and has a positive connotation as well, which therefore requires that there is a distinction between those who are inside this national community and those who are outside. But the problem becomes when those distinctions are made on essentially completely arbitrary basis. So people who have extremely strong connections to the country where they are living are nonetheless denied the right to citizenship of that country, even though they have no connections anywhere else that would enable them to assert their citizenship there. And that's where, you know, that's the point that that's the part that's missing in Target 16.9. The set of people who have no real connections anywhere else, who are existing, who are living where they are, but are not being recognised as nationals. If the Sustainable Development Goals' commitment to leaving no one behind is really to be addressed, then this is something which cannot be ignored. There's one last story of Anka tells. It's about a small boy living in poverty in a Roma settlement. He's two years old and finds a discarded plastic ball in the rubbish. It's winter and a fire is lit in the settlement to ward off the cold. It's the only form of heating. For example, we had um, a mother who had a child that was playing the with fire. The boy moves nearer to the fire, and then he fumbles. The plastic ball falls into the flames. Without hesitation, he reaches in 
and he grabs it. Got burnt. The hand got seriously burnt. The now molten ball starts to fuse with his tiny hand. An ambulance eventually arrives, and he is taken to hospital. Despite the fact that he has no papers, he gets the emergency treatment he needs. Was, and she didn't have her documents. The child was not still registered. They were all in the procedure in a similarly like this. But rounds of plastic surgery needed to restore his hand. And no papers means no insurance. Who will pay? Will his parents dare to take him for treatment? Will his life ever be the same again? The child was attended. They, they sort of healed the burns that were very serious. And that was sort of an urgent case, so the mother didn't have to pay anything. But the child needed to go urgently for a, a plastic a surgery in order for the hand to recover physically. And she couldn't do that before she finished her birth registration and her personal documents and to register the child. Only then uh, she could address the hospital. Being marginalized and invisible comes with a huge cost. Poverty, discrimination, a lack of education, and not even knowing if your child will get the operation he needs to save his hand. You've been listening to the Paperless People podcast with me, Zahra Barazi. Special thanks go to Ivanka Kostic and her colleagues from the Human Rights Organization Praxis in Serbia. They recorded the interviews for the podcast and provided the context and expert analysis. We really wish them all the best in their continuing and tireless work to help those marginalized claim their rights. Oh, yes, an update on the small boy who burnt his hand in the fire retrieving his ball. In the end, he did get the plastic surgery he needed. Praxis helped the family get their papers, and after that they could get their health insurance. The Paperless People podcast is brought to you by the Institute on Statelessness and Inclusion. We have two more country stories in the series, one from India and one from the Dominican Republic. And our first two podcasts lay out what statelessness is and what the challenges are in trying to tackle the problem. They are all available wherever you get your podcasts, and on our website too, www.institutesi.org. Music in the podcast is from Poddington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions. You can find a link in the show notes. From me, Zahra Barazi, thanks for listening.